Hi, this is Anirban Chaudhary from the Economic Times. I've been recently quite intrigued by new fundraising platforms constantly cropping up in India's startup landscape. My interest was piqued last week when I read this article written by a lawyer, Tushar Talwar. So I'm a lawyer by profession. I, you know, advise a lot of early stage uh, startup companies on fundraising and, you know, general corporate matters. Tushar runs this corporate law firm called Atlex Legal. He spent years tracking India's startup space and its changing dynamics and trends. He follows many startup platforms fairly regularly and was recently hooked to the show Shark Tank India. So I was watching the Shark Tank episode earlier in January when it started, the season mm. 2. I saw that there are two three of these companies which are advertising their platforms and these are mostly platforms for fundraising. I saw one called Tyke Invest and I saw one called Inflection Point Ventures and uh, apparently there's another one called Infubiz which was also advertising during the episodes. So, you know, I was curious, you know, what what is the platform? What are they offering? How many people have they got? What is happening? I logged on to the Tyke website first of all. And uh, you know, that's where I saw that you know there are different types of fundraising campaigns and the largest type of fundraising campaign is one which is called a community subscription offer plan. Community subscription offer plans or CSOPs. They basically allow retail investors to invest in startups. Not in crores, but just a few thousand rupees. As low as 5,000 rupees. 5,000 rupees to back what could be the next billion dollar business. Isn't that awesome? Not really. I dug deeper into this platform, Tyke, which is a meeting point between startups and investors and facilitates small retail investments as low as 5,000 rupees. I looked through the documents available on its website. Sample agreements between investors and the startups, risk acknowledgement forms that investors would have to sign, and portfolios of some of the companies listed on Tyke. I traced the financials of some of these companies. While doing all of this, I had a lot of questions, and I found a lot of grey area. What did I find? A transaction that resembles a public offer of shares but isn't. Instruments that resemble securities but the companies involved insist they aren't. A platform that's almost behaving like a quasi exchange but isn't licensed to be one. Investors that are made to bet on a company's stock but don't have shareholders rights or access to the financial details of the firm they are investing in, nor recourse to regulatory protection. Almost no obligation of companies to return investors money. And an accounting tweet that shows that the fundraise could just be a ploy to show bumped up business to investors. In the last couple of years, more than 100 companies have raised crores of rupees via thousands of subscribers on platforms like Tyke. As CSOPs grow bigger, many of them face a massive risk of losing that money. Thousands to lakhs of rupees. Tushar covered some of it in an article in The Ken, a digital magazine. In the episode today, I take a deep dive into the various problems with these new community for startup fundraising. I do this with Tushar, Sandeep Parekh, former SEBI executive director, and Hitesh Gajaria, a senior chartered accountant. I also speak to the founders of two startups that have raised funds on Tyke and the founder of another similar crowdfunding platform called Club. 
Also part of this episode are a host of other lawyers, investors and other industry experts who spoke to me on background. It's Thursday, the 15th of February. Welcome to my latest investigative piece on The Morning Brief. I've completed my chartered accountancy from Mumbai. I'm originally a Bombay boy. I'm currently uh, currently settled in Delhi, where we operate our product and tech team. Uh, so that's something I look after. Uh, after completing chartered accountancy, I worked closely in the M&A and diligence department at Deloitte in Mumbai, where I worked for approximately three years. That was Karan Mehra, founder of Tyke Invest. I reached out to Karan for this episode and he agreed to be part of it. And then he backed out on his lawyer's advice. We sent him a detailed set of questions. He never responded. But on Monday, hours after he had backed out of the interview, Mehra's team put up a video of him explaining CSOPs. What is a CSOP? A CSOP is basically allowing the subscriber to become a part of the growth of the startup's journey by entering into a contractual agreement which basically means that there is no exchange of shares, there is no exchange of securities, there is no exchange of any financial instrument that is happening. Now, CSOPs are basically contracts between a startup and a subscriber. The subscriber puts their money on something called a stock appreciation, right? Basically, a bet on the increase in the company's valuation. If the valuation increases in future, the company at some point buys back the rights and the subscriber earns a profit. The subscriber, however, doesn't own equity. Neither does he get shareholders' rights. Mehra makes this very clear in his presentation. He says CSOPs restricts voting rights, does not come on the cap table of the company, at the same time has similar financial benefits as compared to a, as, as compared to the equity shares of the company. Later, he also says this. There is a notice given by SEBI which says that CSOPs are not under their jurisdiction or stock appreciation rights are not under their jurisdiction and, and, and they basically have to adhere with the Indian Contract Act. So this raises the first two of several red flags. First, the vulnerability of the shareholder. Secondly, misinformation. Unlike what Mehra says, stock appreciation rights do come under SEBI's rules in the Share-Based Employee Benefits and Sweat Equity Regulations 2021. In other words, these rights are part of employee stock option schemes or ESOPs that companies give as incentives to their employees. So the appreciation in the company's total stock goes to the employee's account as a part of their variable salary. A recent report from the Company Law Committee recommended that the Company Act 2013 should be amended to recognize these stock appreciation rights. But that too was recommended as part of employee incentive schemes. So essentially, platforms like Tyke are using a financial tool used to reward employees, but they are using it to attract investors instead. Tyke deliberately keeps the investment in these rights outside easily identifiable financial instruments like securities and derivatives, although they have all their characteristics. Why? So it doesn't fall under the ambit of rules and regulations. The risk acknowledgement letter signed by an investor going to 
buy these stock appreciation rights says what they are buying is not a security under the Companies Act 2013 and the transaction doesn't give them any rights as security holder. Tushar kind of punctures this system. So what is happening here essentially is that you are you are selling a speculative contract to customers and this speculative contract, if you were to actually follow all the provisions of the law, would actually be considered a derivative which is regulated under the Securities Contracts and Regulation Act. As far as, you know, these, uh, the, this arrangement, this CSOP arrangement is concerned, it clearly gets its value from, you know, the movement in the valuation of the company in the future. There's like a entire heavy formula which is provided in the agreement for determining the value of the stock appreciation right at a future date. And the underlying calculation basically factors in the company's valuation at a future date. So just because you say it's not a security does not mean that it is not a security. It has all the features of a security. We're just not calling it a security. Why but? Why is Tyke so keen to keep these transactions outside the ambit of recognized financial instruments and regulations? As far as the law is concerned, you cannot issue or trade in these securities in these kind of uh, contracts without being registered on a recognized stock exchange. On these platforms, you know, you'll see that the minimum investment is it's around 5,000 or 10,000 rupees, which basically means that, you know, you have thousands and thousands of people who are subscribing to, let's say, 5,000 rupees, 10,000 rupees for a company's fundraising campaign. Just to give you a little bit of flavor, the company law says that, you know, if you're inviting subscription to securities from people which are more than 200 in number in a particular financial year, it will be called a publication. And uh, from a a lot of the data which I uh, compiled for the Ken article, there were around, uh, you know, 15 companies in the last nine months itself who have raised more than one crore and have at least a thousand people who have subscribed to these community subscription offer plans. So, you know, the law exists to basically create a categorization where you take money from more than a set number of people, it becomes an offer to the public. And then you have to comply with norms around initial public offers. Like, you know, you have to file a prospectus, you have to get it vetted by uh, the regulator. There is, you know, an audit which takes place. You have to give historical financials. There's a whole gamut of compliances that come into the picture once you start raising money from the public. And that is essentially, I believe that is what is essentially happening with these community subscription offer plans. By not issuing equity or not issuing any security to the investor, you are perhaps able to not fall under the ambit of uh, regulations which say that you can't issue securities to more than X number of people, otherwise it becomes an IPO. But in essence, you are doing it. It's circumventing intentional or otherwise. It's it's circumventing those regulations and raising and anyways just doing a public offer to the general retail investors. One of the biggest concerns in this model is the zero obligation on the part of a company to buy back the stock appreciation rights at any point. Now, there are two ways to liquidate these rights. Either the company decides a fair market value and liquidates the existing rights while raising fresh funds or the owners of the rights get natural exits when the company gets acquired, merged or listed. In either case, the subscriber has no option to redeem the rights. I feel that is that is definitely a red flag. Right. So it's just a speculative bet which if the company feels like they want to pay out, they will pay out. Hmm. 
And another thing to mention in this is that it seems to me that the company is using its own money to speculate on its own share prices. So essentially, you are selling options on your own valuation and it's you you are the person who has to pay it out. It's not some third party with you know separate funds who guarantees that I will pay this out to you if mm-hmm. the share valuation increases. For example, if let's say you are a major investor in a company and you were to sell a stock appreciation, right, with the value of underlying shares, mm-hmm. my remedy against you is dependent on how good you are, how, what kind of assets you have to clear uh, the liability that you've taken on vis-a-vis me. Mm. But when it's company itself, which is speculating on its own share valuation, there are mm. so many things or so many situations where you can simply say, I'm not going to pay up. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And mm. even if everything goes all right, the company or its investors or someone who's buying the company out can simply say that I don't recognize this. I'm not willing to uh, put this liability. So yes, the optionality in paying out the money, I think that is which it should be a red flag for retail investors. The most puzzling bit in this fund's puzzle is that the money raised by these companies are accounted as revenue in their books. It goes into their P&L account and not their capital account. In a recent LinkedIn post, a Thai executive wrote that the net proceeds after accounting for GST is to be treated as revenue. At the same time, the company has to make a provision for the rights to be allocated and the amount is realized as an expense. And sure enough, the funds have made a difference. Vangi is a fintech startup founded by Muthukumar and Ramanathan. It has raised funds via the CSOP route on Tyke. I checked out the latest annual profit and loss account of Vangi, which had raised one round of funds through the CSOP route in February 2022. For the full year, the company's other income jumped a thousand times compared to the previous year. Vangi founder Ramanathan acknowledged that the huge increase was because of the fundraise, which was accounted as revenue. Anirban, in the year of raise, we are accounting it as a revenue with 100% we are providing for it because we know in the future we have to repay this. And every year, you know, we are also creating a provision to take care of our increase in liability. So when I'm doing it in the year of raise, I'm say, suppose I've raised two crores, I've accounted as two crores as my revenue. I've also mm. created a provision to that same extent because in that year, there's no increase in the you know instrument value or something. Subsequent years, say if I've committed 24% increase in the value or something, I create another 50 lakhs of expenses provision. I keep accounting that. So on the year of maturity or whenever I decide, there's no year of maturity, there's no year closing here. Uh, here. Say suppose on the third year, I've committed to buy four times from them. Then in that year, the entire thing will not be, you know, hitting the PNL. I've already created the liability. I in every year I'm taking the hit on the PNL for the incremental in value. So in the year, whenever I'm decide to purchase, it is only the cash outflow. The cash will be accounted and the expenditure will be there only for that year ka expenditure. So we are definitely falling in line with NDAS and as and the guidance so issued you... by the ECNS. Right, but they're taking a punt on the share value, right? How can you count it as revenue because they're not buying your product you're not selling them anything see first of all it is not a liability okay see meaning it is not a share capital it is only and at the same time it is not a debt instrument it is a revenue in the sense that you know somebody is buying out of my Hmm. options my like community the community is buying it as an option okay with the future commitment that you know like i will pay it back in case of the revenue if, if it goes up what if if it doesn't go up 
say suppose in three years down the line, you know there is no you know the value of the company suppose by God forbid some you know somehow it did not go up or something like that. I'll be paying back the same amount. No, so in that case it is the same. Whatever the liabilities are booked will be reversed, and I'll be buying it back the same. It is not a commitment given or something like that. It is the SAR is what linked to the profits of the company. Um, who are your investors? The seed investors we have, you know, ICCI is our primary investor, and you know, like mm. that was they were part of the seed investment round, and uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, Meta Ventures as one of the other, you know, and we have significant angels like partners of some VC firms, partner of a very leading consulting firm in the country, and then we have uh, extended families of Ambani's is one of our investors. These are all they either a seed investor or a CCD investor. Are your investors aware of? This rounds of fundraising that you've done, yes, and uh, yeah, many of them are aware. And I have, in fact, some of the institutional investors had their own reservations. I were I have to be loud and clear here. They had mm. their own uh, reservation. They raised. Uh, they were not, uh, you know, like very sure whether it is good or bad. I had mm-hmm. to really convince them. You know, initially they were not at all convinced. So they said, you know, if given a chance, they will not go ahead or they will not approve such investments. But like they will not approve such, you know, a way of, uh, you know, like getting some funds into the company, etc. But mm. uh, we did show, you know, like what is what is happening in the rest of the world. This is, a, you know, alternate. This is not wrong. You know, this is probably this coming up. This is going to be the future options also, etc. So like kind of a, a half-mindedly, they were okay. Uh, you know, it was, uh, I would say, just for the sake of my, my you know, uh, on a trusting my personal deciding capability, they they agree to it. What if they put their foot down again in the future? What will you do then? See, like you know, this is something like uh, you know, we need to dis- we need to decide at that point in time. We cannot, you know, uh, uh, what do you call uh, deliberate on that based on some estimation. Like uh, you, uh, there's no question of. Uh, uh, Debating that at that point in time, even at that mm-hmm. point in time, when but then since that, the prerogative of buying back the shares lies with you, you can always not buy back the shares, right? And the no, that retail. is not. We will never cheat the public or something. That's not the idea. Otherwise, the founders will buy. See, you know, like you know, I will buy from my own funds. You know, at the end of the day, the the guys who have taken this option, they will get their money back, whether the company buys or the founders buy. Okay, it is the liability okay. of the company or the founder. The only only thing is, you you're not obliged to do that under any contract because it's completely your discretion. Yeah. Obligation does not come only from black and white. You know, I'll tell you like the black and white. I mean, you may do that, but many others may not, right? They may exercise. Tell me something. Tell me something. You know, how many black and white legitimate contracts are won in the court? It will take years. It will take 20 years, 15 years. By the time you get a decision, the value of the money goes useless. Correct mm. with the time value mm. of money. So the, your mind is the security. Your actually, you know, the founder's commitment to give the money back because you have to stay in the society. You know, mm. when you walk down on the road, like people should look at you with some respect. Correct. Mm. So if you take mm. money from thousand people and then you don't even, how do you walk in the road tomorrow? See, end of the day. Yeah, that's idealistic. But yeah, I mean, money. I take your word. Yeah. Okay. So wherever uh, you take uh, the money, wherever you take the money, you have to give back. Forget it, no. So, like, sure. whether it's a VC or a you know a institution or it's a lending or it's a public, you got know, it. like, okay, if it does not happen, yeah, you know, it has got its own repercussions. Kobe, an app for creators, is another company that raised funds on Tyke. I asked its founder Rohan Sinha how he felt about the fact that the stakes are almost entirely loaded in favor of the companies in this scheme of things, and that there's no room or right that the investors enjoy. Also about the fact 
that they could be left in the lurch at the slightest pretext with no recourse or remedy. Honestly, it's about which company is being listed on Tyke. Okay. Hmm. Um, hmm. I think more than this paperwork of what happens if happens, it's important hmm. that what sort of companies are getting listed over there. Hmm. If these hmm. are good companies with strong backers and they're coming hmm. in at a valuation which is low enough, right? This is very important that the valuation be low enough for uh, most hmm. of the investors to make a lot of money. Then hmm. I don't see that there would be any sort of problem. If you get yeah, a so company the, yeah. in with the wrong intent, then there can be things that can go wrong. Yeah. So let me take you on on these two. So firstly, it's low enough right now and the ticket size is low also. This doesn't have to be the case five years down the line. If it becomes very popular, the valuations will grow. The number of subscribers will grow. The ticket sizes will also grow. So that I don't kind of agree with. The other thing is very interesting that you said about whether the investors know the company. So I saw some of the documents that have been put up on Tyke in terms of due diligence. And they are very skeletal. I mean, there is no financial details. There is no detail of balance sheets. There is no detail of risks, profit and loss, debt, liabilities, assets, nothing. How will an investor know how the company is doing? Unless the investor is one of your customers, which seems to be most often the case. So you can tell them directly or something. But if you have 1400 people, how will they know what kind of company they're investing in? You cannot share your internal financial details with everybody, right? I think if you keep pegging SARS at the same value at what angel investors do, because there is a limit of 200, right? That is why we don't share it with, with the entire world. But it but is the new because, angel investing, isn't it? That's what Tyke advertises it, it as. The new angel investing. I think, see, I understand that. But when it is SARS, there are, have been a lot of people, uh, Anirban, who have invested in SARS and then they have come back to me saying that I want to invest more money into the company as an angel investor. And we've done that mm. as well. So mm. it is up to the subscriber whether they want to, because if you want to be an angel investor, then you are also going to have to put up a value of greater than 3 lakhs, not 3 lakhs or 5 lakhs, whatever be mm. the case. So mm. um, for many people, that is not comfortable. They want to mm. be angel investors for sure. But for them, equity is not the right right way to go forward. And that mm. is why they go for SARS. And even though you're saying that, you know, on Tyke, what sort of documents they had shared with the investors were very skeletal. Tyke internally had studied all my documents properly. And those are in the public domain or were they only available to no. Tyke? They were available to type. As I told you, uh, we cannot give it out to 1400 people because where we will lose our competitive edge. In fact, then I won't be able to run the company so strongly. There are so many companies in my segment. I have to kind of protect the competitive advantage and, you know, not show my hand completely. Would you go for such a form of fundraising again? So it was not a mode of fundraising for me. My target was 20 lakhs and 20 lakhs was very small an amount in the grand scheme of things. Average people, mm. they were investing 5,000, 10,000 rupees, 11,000 rupees. Um, none of this actually ever really mattered to me. What happened was just a lot of marketing came around it because people got a lot more active on the app. People came back to me saying, hey, this thing is not working or maybe we can do this. Like everybody was suddenly giving us feedback 
because they felt like part of the company and whenever i asked for help there were lots and lots of people who were willing to help me all this talk of community awareness isn't cutting ice with the experts despite the financial jugglery they see it for what it is a startup taking positive bets on itself and trying to find alternate forms of revenue and a platform that facilitates this transaction here's hitesh gajaria a senior chartered accountant what was most strange was that the startups were perhaps showing these small amounts received from their investors as their revenue how per accounting standards how can amounts received even in a proxy format towards share capital be so called share appreciation rights be even classified as revenue this is most unusual are these practices being used by these startups to show higher and perhaps incorrectly classified and perhaps inflated revenues to get even more funding from other investors in subsequent funding rounds now is this business practice of startups and the platform website regulated by any financial services regulator do small investors in the hope of making a quick buck are they even aware that most of these startups themselves fail and these appear small amounts but multiplied over thousands of startup investors to be channeled into hundreds of startups per their website these could balloon into large sums of money collected from completely unsuspecting lay people the entire scheme does not pass my smell test and i would strongly caution both the lay investors out to multiply their money in a seemingly easy manner and the startups who could suffer serious reputational damage if ultimately many small investors facing these losses feel that they have been cheated now in 2016 sebi had cracked down on some of these platforms telling them they had no business acting as stock trading platforms this was the work of the stock exchanges here's former sebi executive director sandeep parekh many of the platforms that are in fact said that okay since you have a platform which is the stock exchanges which run the public markets or the listed space why mm-hmm. can't we create a platform which does the same thing for non listed companies i think we saw business opportunity there so i think a whole host of uh, platforms came up around a decade back and uh, sebi's reading of the regulation was quite different so they in fact sent out so called notices to many of them saying mm-hmm. that you really running a stock exchange and whether it's listed or unlisted is not material if you run any kind of platform uh, you better come and register yourself as a stock exchange and registering as a stock exchange is almost like an impossible task right so it's it's not like registering as an investment advisor you need hundreds of crores of net worth you need Uh, the the kind of uh, uh, systems in place, compliance, checks and balances, information systems. It's extremely complex, and I I don't think a startup is for by by any stretch of imagination able to set set up an exchange. So all of them kind of uh, either shut down or some of them were too small, so they maybe didn't get the show cause notice. But uh, that's how that story really ended. Or maybe not quite ended. because similar platforms have come up in the last few years in november 2022 sebi issued a circular where they had basically noted that there has been substantial increase 
in the number of people, retail investors who are flocking to these bond platforms. And these bond platforms, you know, like Golden Pie, there is uh, Wind Wealth, there is Grip Invest, there is Club as well. So they, they're also doing all of this. So what Sebi noticed was that a lot of these platforms were advertising on the internet, not on TV, but on the internet, you know, promoting the fact that you can make safe 10 to 12% returns on, uh, you know, bonds issued by various, you know, small companies. And uh, there was a significant increase in the volume of transactions which was going through these uh, platforms. So the SEBI came out with this regulation in November 2022, which basically said that you have to register as a securities broker and you can only deal in listed securities. So what has happened after that is that some of the larger platforms, at least, they have shut down uh, offering products which are not compliant with the framework which SEBI had come out with for debt kind of instruments. And uh, they've now started transitioning to having only listed bonds available for purchase or subscription by the retail investors. Other platforms that are matchmakers between lenders and companies may come under the SEBI circular as well. Club is one such company. Here's its co-founder and CEO, Anurakt Jain. We are closely assessing the guidelines of uh, what are called online bond platforms. Hmm. Uh, They currently do not stipulate this with regards to non-rated bonds, but we are very closely watching the regulation and the guidelines. We anticipate more regulation in this particular area, which is very welcome because it ultimately will allow more transparency such that startups, SMEs that really need capital are able to raise it in the economy as well. But please note, again, this is evolving. So we anticipate that the regulator will provide more clarifications and clarity as well. Mm. And at every given point in time, we will be compliant with the regulations that the law of the land decides. Yeah, for example, if debenture platforms, for example, becomes part of SEBI circular, then it impacts club, right? That is absolutely correct. I turn to Sandeep with the final question of the episode. This raises a broader question on alternate investment itself. Is it becoming too broad or too ambiguous an investment umbrella and as a former SEBI executive yourself, do you think that it needs to step in and clarify certain concepts once and for all so that these grey areas are sort of done away with? So I think uh, what I've been recommending for many years is uh, to set up an alternative system. The first part is an alternative exchange. So we've had... uh, more than 40 alternate exchanges in the US, which are kind of not regulated as a full stock exchange. But they, since they're doing limited activity, uh, you know, they, the level of scrutiny, the level of regulation is much, much lower. The West allows a lot more experimentation and, you know, the sandbox approach is much more common. They have created middle paths, so they made it easier for people to kind of do innovation and fintech uh, without tripping up with too much regulation. They, you, you'd still have some regulation. And the second is kind of creating a either through a sandbox system which SEBI already has in, has in place uh, or through another mechanism of uh, kind of a lighter touch regulation which says that since players are more sophisticated and that's what exactly with, they've done with AIF, right? So before alternate investment funds came in, you know, there was one venture capital fund regulation but otherwise, you know, it was left to the law of contract. So they came out with AF regulations, which I guess two, three months back, they were very, very light touch regulations. So That's changed now. It's changing very rapidly. Mm-hmm. So 
essentially what 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 needs to be done according to me is create a kind of a separate sandbox process which allows all these fintechs to experiment and they will of course need to provide you know, sufficient comfort to the regulator that these are kind of number one these are kosher in terms of uh, they're, they're not fraudulent number two you know what are the checks and balances in place which allow the safety of the investor the refencing of one investor from another investor and stuff like mm. that so Mm. I mean, these are the kind of solutions which both the market and when I say market, it won't be individual players. But I think if the entire fintech community comes together and has a discussion with uh, SEBI, that I think that could be more productive uh, than just taking an an aggressive opinion and going ahead with uh, a business model like this. The idea of allowing small retail investors into the startup investment ecosystem is just great. Imagine the joy of funding the next big idea, being part of and earning from the next path-breaking disruption and the steep rise in valuation that follows and makes you wealthier. But financial jugglery and exploiting regulatory loopholes isn't the way to go about it. Our stock appreciation rights, which are now in a regulatory twilight zone, the best way to crowdfund a startup? What exactly is being sold on platforms like Dyke? And how? Which one is to blame when things go wrong? The platform or the seller? Are civil cases the only legal recourse for a subscriber when things do go wrong? How is the interest of the investor community protected in the CSOP system? Do business models like CSOPs fall under alternate investment funds or common investment schemes? Is there a danger of some of them degenerating to Ponzi schemes? Perhaps instead of being banned, alternate platforms for startup funding need to be legitimized and regulated. Entry barriers need to be set up. Meanwhile, the Indian investor too needs to be wiser. While platforms like Shark Tank are great dream factories, the arm investor needs to see through the spiel and understand business ideas for what they are and more importantly, what they are not. That's it for today. You were listening to this episode on The Morning Brief. Behind all these deep dive episodes is a team constantly ideating, researching, fact-checking, coordinating, editing and packaging. Show producer for this episode, Vinay Joshi, sound designer, Indranil Bhattacharji, Brain Trust, Kiran Somvanshi, Dia Reki, and executive producers Anupriya Nair and Arajit Barman. We hoped you liked this episode. Do listen to The Morning Brief on all prominent listening platforms every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. This is Anirban Chaudhary signing off. Thank you. Keep listening. Invest wisely. All clips used in this episode belong to their owners. Credits are mentioned in the description. <laughs> <laughs>